Hi there. Welcome to Joe's Table Alaska, where I explore the food industry in the interior region of the state of Alaska. Interior Alaska invites all types of agricultural interests, from farming, foraging, to ranching, and encourages entrepreneurs who are engaged in sustainable growing of all produce all year long, despite the many challenges of the cold weather in our state. Food security, sustainable farming, agriculture, and growing our own food. These are important issues for us in the interior of Alaska. This is where we live. This is where we raise families and work towards self-sufficiencies. In this podcast, I speak with farmers, foragers, ranchers, butchers, and also with people who are dedicated in helping year-round with the food security for those in our community who have the need. I speak with people engaged in growing vegetables, in growing flowers, beekeeping, mushroom foraging, and many, many other endeavors. These are people who embrace agriculture to produce the most essential ingredient for us and for our livelihood, food. I bring their challenges, their journey, and their stories to you. I'm Joe, and this is Joe Stable Alaska. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Denali State Bank. As a local community bank based in Fairbanks, Alaska, Denali State Bank believes in the importance of food security, self-sufficiency, and supports the homegrown agricultural-related activities that make food available, accessible, and most importantly, improves the quality of life for all Alaskans. Discover more at Denali State Bank. Food security, surplus food, hunger, food for medicine, bone builder program, Thanksgiving food boxes, Christmas food boxes. It's a lot, and it all starts here with Fairbanks Community Food Bank. On this episode, I'm talking with two very dynamic ladies who have successfully created an amazingly wonderful enterprise in sharing food with those in need. A mother and daughter duo working side by side to collect surplus food and redistributing it to the individuals and to the community. Food security is a big concern all over the country, but especially here in Fairbanks, Alaska, where the growing season is short and 90 to 95 percent of our food is transported from outside of the state. Food Bank started from a very humble and small beginning in 1982, where a few thousand pounds of food was collected. Today, over a million pounds of food is distributed to those in need. Fairbanks Community Food Bank is a shining example of dedication, generosity, efficiency, and a truly gratifying labor of love. It's an enterprise that works like clockwork. My guest today are Sam Castle Kirstein and Ann Weaver. Sam was engaged in this concept in early 1980s 
She has since then led the effort and expanded the food bank 100 times over. She retired from her position as CEO and continues to work as the community development director. Anne Weaver, who is the current CEO of Food Bank, has taken the lead from Sam and continues to enhance the food bank operations. She has capably added to the programs and increased volunteer and donor support. These ladies are supercharged. They're tireless, they're devoted, and maintain a superb sense of humor. Let's listen to our conversation. So I'm Ann Weaver. Um, I've been the CEO since 2015, but I was able to be with mom at the food bank since 1990, so that's just fun. And um, kids now, mom's grandkids are now being raised in the food bank and spending all of their time off if they have a school holiday uh, downstairs packing boxes, so that's fun. This is a family event. Turns into it by accident, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Well, and it's nice when you have... um, when you're raising a family and um, you know they want to know what's mom doing you know what's grandma doing and you can see what you're doing is setting such an excellent example you know for your family and for the young people uh, I know you do that with the high school and and uh, I know when my husband taught at Monroe the kids came and they helped with the um, at the food bank, and and they, and they still do. Monroe is still yeah. one of those schools that we can count on seeing kids throughout the year. And then that day before Thanksgiving, we still have quite a few kids that will come over. So that's fabulous. So, Anne, how long have you been with food bank? Well, under the table, literally like sleeping under the table <laughs> since 1990. And then I uh, was by when I was 12 years old, we had our um, warehouse manager and a refrigeration manager quit that summer and so for a couple weeks I got to learn how to run the refrigerator and I think I was 12 or 13 at the time and uh, but I've been in an official paid position since 2004. Okay how about you Sam? You started at the very beginning? No actually it started in 1982 and um, I admired the project because the mission statement is to collect local surplus food and give it to people who need it. So that's so practical. Naturally, I was attracted to that. Watched uh, it with great interest as five um, churches came together with their volunteers and decided that they could do something about it. 1982 was a period of time where you could actually do something in three months and they went to the city council and asked for a little bit of money to start. Um, the, they modeled after a food bank in Phoenix, Arizona called St. Mary's. So it's just taken a, a small group of people who had a really good practical idea, let's just salvage local surplus food and give it to people who need it. And um, in, in our case in 1982, um, that turned into an organization, people who didn't have any idea what food banking was, but they had a heart that uh, wanted to save the food. Sure. The very first year, they harvested um, 300,000 pounds of food, and that was very exciting to the volunteers and then the churches that they were associated with. Um, now, this is in uh, in 82. In 1982. And, and was it over a, a certain time frame? You mentioned three months, but the 300,000 pounds sounds an enormous amount of food. It was. And last year, if you fast forward now, the 40, we're entering our 41st year. Um, if you fast forward into it, we started with that 300,000 pounds, which was amazing and staggering at the time. Last year, we brought in 3.3 million pounds of donated th- food. It's incredible. Went out to over 600,000 meals. We also support um, uh, pre-COVID. There were several um, uh, 
organizations and whatnot and agencies that shut down during the COVID period. But we're building back up to about 100 um, local businesses, local organizations like the Rescue Mission, the Nonviolent Living Shelter, the Meals and Wheels, the Burn Limestone Soup, small church pantries. There's over 100 of them that we're working with. So we gave about uh, 900,000 pounds of food to them. And they're the ones, they're the frontline workers that are seeing the, um, you know, the families that come in and say, hey, I need a little bit of help. What am I going to do? So you act uh, kind of like a clearinghouse. Pretty much. Okay. And and I know that there is a direct reach out to you, you know, um, for for food. Yes, with our emergency food box program. Right. But really, you are working through these other churches and agencies and, and then you know, they forward the request to you and you supply food to them. And in the morning, the way we start our day out is we've got two programs that are actually our core mission. We've got the emergency food box program and a program that we'll, they'll probably talk about here in a little bit too called Food is Medicine. And those two programs, the intention of them is the food comes to us and that's the first place our food goes. But if we have more food than we can use for those two programs, we don't want it to go to waste. These, sure. these gifts are precious. So many, many years ago, I don't know if it was Sam's idea or if it was even pre-Sam, was to, okay, well, let's share them with other agencies too. We receive the food for free. We give it away for free. And there are other agencies like the Rescue Mission who have people to feed. So what can we do about helping their budgets? Mm-hmm. So our surplus, so to speak, actually goes to these there's over 900,000 pounds we were able to share with these other agencies at no cost to them. And so other than the time it takes to drive over and pick it up from us. We've done all of the collection around town. So it allows the other agencies to fulfill their mission better by having food that just decreases their budget. So when you say you drive around and pick up, you know, do the collection around town, where are you going? Are you going to the the large grocery stores? All of the above. We often get asked during tours, which grocery store should we support? Who supports a food bank? And wonderfully, the answer is all of them. All of them. Now, that takes a lot of work on Sam's part because, you know, as grocery store managers leave and National does this and whatever, then it takes a lot of relationship building. But everything, you know, the small co-op market, the big Costco, everybody in between and even Lulu's Bagels and Great Harvest and you know we've got lots of of small and large stores here in town where every at least once a week and for some places every day we go and pick up their surplus um, and we're able to bring it back and share. So we were talking a little bit earlier about um, uh, interior Alaska farmers you know the lady that grows you know asparagus you know which is a very seasonal you know produce item for her i don't know if she had surplus but let's just use her as an example if she had surplus would she give to food bank i started um, every saturday was my task to go to the farmers market and take their surplus but the reality is that we don't grow enough that there is much surplus. Yeah. So excited to buy it. At the Carlson Center in winter, where they yes. have their root vegetables and, you know, that they still have, that they're trying to, you know, make some money by, by, by selling. So, so my thought is that there's not a lot of storage available for these farmers. Um, some of it is nature of the produce and some of it is space, you know. So I would think that they would be glad. To, to give those We have had them. Spinach Creek come with uh, a truckload of carrots at the end of the season. They have also asked us from time to time for cleaners, and they've gotten a first grade from Pearl Creek, for example, to go and glean um, their, their gardens. Um, but for the most part, 
these guys have developed to the point that they have good marketing skills mm -hmm. and they have people like me who just can hardly wait to go there and buy their fresh <laughs> product. But we do see a lot of farmers. You know, we get a, a, there's always um, come fall time we'll see and like at Thanksgiving a lot of the potatoes we're able to give out are interior Alaska grown. Yeah, and isn't that I cool? I would imagine. Yeah, that's and those, cool. But and those carrots, but we'll also places like Hawks Greenhouse will make sure that they um, plant kind of an extra row of beets and they'll bring them in. And we'll have you know these all these little treasures of, of some very small you know just home farms to a lot of the big ones. We probably see them if not every year, at least every couple of years. Every one of the farmers. And last year, I believe um, Rotary Grow Your Cabbages. <laughs> How did that program go? That was and wonderful. An and then Sam started that cabbage program originally because. Uh, in, in, in today's world, we've got some folks that love to garden. My mom is one of them. I am not. But if you give me a pot and a cabbage, I can I can take care of that. <laughs> and so that was one of her ideas was to be able to, you know, every item matters and every item counts. And so we had a lot of folks that had never grown anything before who were telling us that some folks were telling stories to their cabbages and singing to them at night before <laughs> they go to bed and all these really fun stories about these beautiful cabbages and that are brought in, some of them very small, some of them very big depending on the just the knowledge and the skill of the grower and every cabbage was able to be preciously used and given out in a food box. Thank you. You've never done that. You know, you start with a cabbage and pretty soon you might grow more things. So it's it's just this pay it forward kind of positive impact that you're having. Um, and and I love it. I, I think that's Everybody exactly what's needed. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be a hundred square foot Great. So, so today you are on the 26th Avenue. Um, nice building, nice size building. I've been in there many times. Um, because you're a volunteer, thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that. Uh, mm -hmm. You know that that uh, piece that we do from our Rotary Club. It's yes. it's always enjoyable to me. Mm -hmm. um, and often we just box things. You know, for for the Thanksgiving boxes, we are you know on that assembly line of you know getting the boxes put together. I think I've seen you with a lot of potato dirt all over your head. <laughs> <laughs> but I think last year uh, you, you kind of switched it on us and said, you guys are doing potatoes, onions, and uh, <laughs> celery, and carrots, you know. And uh, oh, that was great fun. You know, um, we all enjoyed it, you know, and, and because you get to see what goes into, yes. you know, this whole business of providing food, you know, to a family over a special holiday. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. But do you think that your current location is sufficient and for how long would it be sufficient? We had the most wonderful thing happen in about 1997. Uh, Dennis Wise walked in and he said, I don't We were at 517 Gaffney at the yeah. time, a little 6200 square foot building. The one that's Literacy Council. And he said, this is not a food bank. I would like to build a food bank. And we said, oh, thank you. Having no idea because I wanted one that was about a little bit larger than where we were. And he said, no, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to build one in case of a community emergency. Oh. And I said, oh my goodness, we can't because I can't afford, I mean, we get free food and give it away free. But it's space, heat, and power. How do you do that? We don't have a budget for that. Yeah, yeah. And he said, we'll figure it out. And it's a good thing that he did because during COVID, we needed every square inch and more. We were And we were set kids. up and we were ready and we had it because this gentleman, 23 yeah. years earlier, 
had looked ahead and mm -hmm. he had so much more wisdom than I did because I would have still had us in some small. So he saw that we worked six days a week during COVID. He saw the work that we did and he said, you don't have enough room. And Our current said, facility is 50,000 square feet. Yeah. And we said, you're right, we don't. And so this last summer he built us another 16,000 square feet. Just right across the corner right so across, our forklifts yeah. can take it from our warehouse and zzz, right over there to the other one. Oh, okay. okay. So pretty close by. Then. Yeah. yeah. Right, just across the street. And, um, and one of the things especially at holiday times that we don't have enough of is freezer and refrigeration space and um, so he allowed us to build in the refrigerator that we wanted and it just makes Costco look like a miniature. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway we are so well equipped because our community does take good care of us they see what we're doing they see that it's a positive thing and they come and say can we help yeah and he did what he could do yeah so so that will kind of take you and and fulfill that that gap mm -hmm. for you facilities well. it allows us to have the everyday workspace yeah. and a space to put things that we will need but we might not need until november okay so is that like good for next five years ten years probably oh, you don't know you know, we don't know. My crystal ball doesn't work well. <laughs> but I will tell you that one of the things we did most recently with the governor's money is I bought 30,000 pounds of fish. Yes, I read that. Frozen. And so that cramped us quite a bit. <laughs> the fridge freezer in the other building yeah. is the one part that's not quite done yet. Give us yeah. a couple months, it'll be done. So that, that was a little snug, but a good snug. We got the fish right back out. I had to explain to Dennis as he was building it because he said, Sam, what you need to do is you need to organize your, you know, you need to plan. You don't need a giant refrigerator. You need to rotate your stock. And I said, Dennis, I don't know today if the governor's office is going to call and they have um, um, the evidence locker full of bison. I don't know if we're going to get nine van loads of milk today. I because can't. it all happened. And by van loads, we're talking about those 40-foot yes, vans. Yes. Yeah. And so I don't know, but I know that we can't have a small capacity for freezers and refrigeration. And he said, well, okay, whatever. <laughs> and, and I was really glad that I uh, did tell him that at the time. And we had almost enough for 25 years, but now we're really going to have enough. <laughs> the hard thing, of course, is that when our community, when we say we need turkeys and our community comes in with turkeys, they come in and like the week before Thanksgiving. So it's like, oh my goodness, where are we going to put these? And that's wonderful and so incredibly needed. And now we have the space to be able to take yeah. them and not worry about it, which is fabulous. You know, that, that day before Thanksgiving, we're looking at putting out 100,000 pounds of food. It takes 12 months to build up that specific amount of food for that specific day and when it all goes out in one day it, it's don't forget we have to thaw the turkeys so then that's even more into our space. fridge and yeah. we also want to have our you know the pies in the freezer and, and you know, there's so much right. strategy they're, they're getting it the day before so they don't have the luxury of three four days of exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. do you ever worry about uh, spoilage of we course. absolutely do. We watch yeah. it very close. We're required, um, wonderfully, DEC and OSHA work really closely with this food bank, and we're, we're intentional about that. We want to be a place where the items that we give out are always safe and always, we want to do, we want to be good stewards. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're required to have at least one food safety manager on site. Um, our practice is to have a minimum of eight. That way we're having constant conversations about, and actually it's more like 12 in, in, in practicality. That way our, all of our warehouse crew is talking about what food safety is. They all have eyes on what's happening. Um, 
if we receive an item that is questionable, we know what to do with it, we can do, to work with the volunteers, um, and then we work hard on not making food questionable. We, we have to go under the assumption that by the time it comes to us, it's not at the beginning of its life, it's near the end. So what can we do to make sure that we don't add to the life of the item? Sure. So we put things straight into the freezer or straight into the fridge, depending on what's happening. Um, and it's it's a really good conversation for the we're not only the warehouse crew but our drivers and our administration team and our front office we have them all take those management tests uh, in food safety simply so it's such a regular conversation that um, it's just ongoing. It just Do you pay attention to expiration dates and things like that on cans? And is that important? Well, watch the expiration dates. Uh, kind of depends on the item. If there's a dent in a can, then that's not some, that, that sure. at that point is considered dangerous because it could get botulism or something terrible in it. We don't want to do that. Um, but things, you know, most of the dates on items, your milk, for example, is good for at least seven and 10 days yes. after the expiration date. Yes. Um, a lot of those are the suggested sell dates for example which is not the same as best the, ex buy. the best yeah. buy yeah. yeah not the same as an actual ex expiration most of what we give out is considered expired but we watch our DEC guidelines and make sure we're well within those guidelines um, and have regular questions to you know I've, I've got the DEC um, and main inspector on speed dial and if we have a question I give her a call yeah. and say hey this is what we have let us know few years ago, Sam reached out to him and was able to get a uh, variance uh, so that we we're able to accept locally home-baked home bread, which is lovely. And then when Sam's Club closed, a lot of our, like the cookies and little treats like that, that that we would receive, a lot of them went away for a while. Well, if you're thinking about a, a shut-in senior, for example, and they need food, but it's also nice to have, you know, to know that you're cared for and loved. That's so important. You know, we as humans need connection. And so it was so fun. Same went back to our same DEC lady and said, hey, can we take home baked cookies and give them out with our senior boxes? And so they, they did the research they needed to do. And we have a variance now where we can bring in chocolate chip cookies and we can give them out nice. um, for with senior boxes or in things like that. And so it's, you know finding different ways that people can be a part of and how special it is to be able to offer to um, an individual or a family who doesn't know how they're going to make it through the night and give them some fresh baked bread too yeah i mean like what yeah. what a dear thing yeah um uh, was it um, brandy astanic Oh yes, wasn't that? Oh, that story? that's such a one. great story. It's a great story. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think and that's what charges our batteries yeah. when we hear those stories. Yeah, and and it was um, it, it was fun to read that that how many loaves of bread you know that that uh, group you know and how many pounds of flour you know were used. Right. <laughs> so um, food as medicine. You've mentioned that a couple of times, and uh, you said that when you start your day. That's one of the two areas, you know, where the food goes first. Is that a doctor-prescribed program to uh, those who need food? Yes. Uh, for most of my life at the food bank, we had to build small, medium, and large food boxes. The volunteers who pack the food boxes may not know what a heart box is or a kidney box is, and so we really couldn't specialize according to medical concerns. And that always bothered me because, and also we're an emergency food box, so there's a limited number of emergencies that you can have over the course of the year to people who were going to try to change their diets. 
And um, much to my surprise, we are having 60 or 70. A day. A day. A day. A day. day. And so um, that has put uh, a strain on the produce that we have. During COVID, do you remember uh, what the shelves looked like at the beginning of COVID? (laughs) There just wasn't anything there. And we called um, we called Usabelli, of course, and Pogo, and um, and said we got a problem here. Can you help us? We need to buy some produce, and we want to make sure that we don't have to close our food as medicine program down. And that day, we got uh, you know delivered money so that we could go and buy. And so I was able to buy uh, produce during the first part of that because it's so important to help these people who have a chronic disease, who need to change their diets, and they can't afford to do it. Their sure, diets. sure. And, uh, and of course, during COVID, you couldn't even get to see a doctor for six months. Mm-hmm. So we changed to every six months, then they needed a referral. And, um, and we've had up to 900 people enroll in that program at any one time. It's, it's far more than I thought that it would be. That's a wonderful program. And we're hearing from the doctors how exciting how exciting it is for them. Because when you're looking at somebody and the, the way that is inexpensive to eat is killing them, that would be really hard and scary. Yeah, yeah. So the doctors have been telling us how much they've been enjoying watching people's quality of life um, really change and be extended even. And that's, that's, that's fun. So we have that plus our emergency food boxes. That's where the, that's where the first. What is it they say? The first fruits. That's where the first fruits go. So can, apart from the the food as medicine um, program in general, can anyone get food from food bank? Yes, I can do. If anybody who's having a need, they can uh, call in up to ten food boxes in the course of a year. An emergency food box is a three day supply of food. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner for three days. Um, and there's not pre-made items. You can make your own meals out of them. And so at, if you're getting near that, that 10, we'll warn you. We'll say, hey, you know, we'll send a letter with the box. You're getting close. If you're needing more help, then how about you call Helping Alaska? Or how about, you know, there are some places that you can call. Because if you're working directly with a caseworker, we can continue to give you food boxes because mm-hmm. it shows that you're truly having an emergency that's ongoing. Kidney dialysis, that's ongoing. Um, but for the most part, and then of course at, at in October, um, most Alaskans receive a permanent fund. In November, we have the uh, Thanksgiving box where there's no, we don't count that box against people, so to speak. And so, you know, if you're just having a hard time making ends meet, you can kind of cover all your months right there. And if you're having a really hard emergency, that's an entire month's worth of of food where you're not going to probably need anything else. Um, And the emergency food boxes are based on the number of people in your household. So in my household, we've got five people. We're looking at 20 pounds of food per person as our goal, um, our minimum goal. And so that would be a 100-pound food box that would come into our home and last at least three days and that's that's what we shoot for so you know that's that's our mission and then there are ways that people can if if they're truly having a bigger need than that uh, continue to get support to a ignorant person like me I would say oh it's it's like uh, umbrella operation and then the other food banks just kind of sort of our chapters of Food Bank of Alaska but that is not the case 
they were actually founded two years before we were, and they're actually just the Anchorage Food Bank. And they do work with several villages around the state, just as we do. We actually service um, kind of northern Alaska and a little bit, um, little bit southern. Um, but they just have a really lovely name. <laughs> but but that's kind of where it stops. We we do all of our uh, surplus food here in Interior Alaska. Food Bank Alaska doesn't service this area. It's interesting. Yes. Feeding America is another one that can be confusing because that's a national organization. Yeah. But they actually fund and help Food Bank of Alaska. Um, they don't actually... Um, provide any benefits to Interior Alaska. Okay. So we're, but we're at no, least there's no um, reporting responsibilities. No. Yeah, no. Not, so they're, they're doing their own thing. They yeah. just happen to have that name, you yeah. know, Food Bank Alaska. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's this independence, you know, yes. by different food banks in different parts of the state. And, and I think, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. Um, I, I was thinking about, A, clarifying that, which, which you have, and, um, and you guys are a nonprofit, right? You're a 501c3. Yes, okay. When you have um, myself going through Fred Meyers, uh, you know, getting my groceries checked out, and they say, would you like to round up, you know, to give to Food Bank? Um, how successful a program is that? Yes, that is a successful program. We really need to have that kind of money. I think last year we ended up with $50,000. Yep. So it's huge for That's us. That's pretty good. It's huge for us. Yep. Because we get free food and give it away free. goes back to that whole every penny counts thing. Yeah. Are there other places where you have the same arrangement besides Fred Meyers? Safeway and the Fairbanks Co-op, um, all of them do a roundup. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Safeway doesn't do it all year long. They have special programs. We're, um, we're involved right now in a breakfast program. They want to make sure that the money that we generate through that goes into buying breakfast, breakfast food for, for uh, students. Okay, and that's okay. easy for us to do. And the yeah. co-op market is a much smaller scale, but it's still that's several you know about four thousand dollars a year that that's comes in through the pennies of that wonderful uh, smaller grocery store. I wanted to ask you, have you guys ever run out of food? There have been days in my life, thirty three years in the food bank, that it's been pretty skimpy, but we've never completely run out of food. Um, but right now, we're low on produce. We've got two important produce programs in the morning. And uh, we had volunteers ask us this morning, we don't have enough for both of these programs. How are we going to get through that? And yeah. we're going to just share what we have today. And it may be less than we would like to have. The volunteers, <laughs> the volunteers love to build beautiful food boxes. And so they're very likely to complain when we don't have exactly <laughs> what they would like to have uh, to put in those food boxes. But things like the uh, school food drives, for example, or the canned food day at the fair, you know, when, when we receive the either the cans of chili or the cans of corn or other vegetables um, or the, the UHT milk or even the dry powdered milk on the days we're low with the fresh, we rely on that. Um, we, you know, our, if our goal is to not only have 20 pounds of food, but to have breakfast items and lunch items and dinner items, um, the ability to have the fallback of the canned and dry goods is really important to mm -hmm. us. Um, we're always low on produce in January, February, March, because that's just the season of how the grocery sure. stores order and all of the above. Um, and so 
it's something we watch. There were a few days in COVID where um, we all kind of looked at each other and thought, you know, I really do think we're the only ones in town with peanut butter. Um, and but it, and it was interesting some of the phone calls that we would receive about families that had never been without, but because there was no food in the grocery store, they they had no food, so they had to order. I couldn't find an egg to buy anywhere in town. They were gone, and I walked into the food bank and we had a rack of them. It's like where did those come from? So there's these treasures that'll yeah. that'll pop up, and it's just you know one one day we were it was Thanksgiving a few years ago, and we had completely run out of candy candy yams completely like not one on the shelf, and the warehouse manager at the time knowing how this community works said well i'm just going to walk up to the donation door and see if any came in and she said there was a little case there and she thought well that's cool and she, she carried it back and i got on facebook and said okay folks we're out of candy yams and i feel a little bit to this day i feel like i need to apologize to the, all the employers because all of a sudden candy yams started coming <laughs> through that donation door and i'm thinking everybody's leaving their work going to buy candy yams and bringing them here and i think by the end of that day there were half a dozen boxes that went out without candy yams. So let's talk about volunteers. Um, I've been a volunteer. I've been amazed at how many volunteers you have. Um, how, how do you, uh, is, is it just that we all know we have to do this and we sign up or uh, how do, how do you manage so this big beast? I'm gonna brag about Sam a little bit first before she, I'm sure she's gonna have some things to say about that. But one of the things that she has always um, understood and pushed in this community and developed is that if we all do what we can, then we can do a lot. We can move mountains. And so this last year we had over 22,000 volunteer hours. Um, and Sam is out in the community, ooh, my goodness, out of the 365 days, at least 400 of them, she's out <laughs> in the community talking to every group imaginable, or imaginable from schools and doing presentations in schools because a third of our volunteer group are kids. You know, how fun is it to be able to show kids their value and the impact they can make in students' lives or in, in people's lives? And, you know, if 40% of who we serve are local children, to have a child be able to support a peer, yeah. that's a big deal. So before, you know, Sam's the one that's really built our volunteer program. And then our job, I see my job as, okay, let's continue. We've got these wonderful volunteer spotlights that uh, Gray Television puts out for us. Um, you know, what, what can we do to make it the funnest, friendliest place to be? How can we make the commitment small enough that it's totally tangible and doable, um, but make the impact big enough that it's really exciting? One of the facts that we've been told over the years by folks that study volunteers is they said, do you know that like half of your volunteers are men? That's not normal. Well, and it's normal at the food bank though, we have all generations and all backgrounds and all everything. You know, we've got people who volunteer because they've received food. We've got people who volunteer because they haven't ever needed to receive food. You know, this whole different walk of life. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so fun to, you know, two thirds of our daily workforce are volunteers. Our staff is one third of what we need it to be. It's those staff that make sure it's a clean, friendly, safe place to be. And it's the volunteers that sort the bread and um, make sure there's no mold on it, that pack the emergency food boxes, that really do the relevant mission work. It's the volunteers that are the backbone of what we do. 
Um, but a lot of that happens because Sam's out in the community saying, hey, you're important and you're valuable and we need you, mm -hmm. so come on in. Mm -hmm. If we don't have 15 to 30 volunteers every day on a normal day, not on Thanksgiving because we have 150 on that day, but if we don't have 15 to 30 people a day to do the work, we can't get the work done because we're receiving five to ten tons of food a day. And so, uh, it's, it's, so it's, it's a reality. People like to work there because it's a job they can come and go in a couple of hours. We provide lunch if they are willing to stay. And uh, they feel good at the end because at the end of the day, we can all say somebody got a meal tonight. Yeah, there's gonna be a couple hundred people today that you've helped feed. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. I have a wonderful board of directors, so I've got a boss of 13. Then we have 4,000 monetary donors each year. We have tens of thousands of food donors and at least 1,500 volunteers that make up the 22,000 hours. And every single one of them own the food bank, which is exactly what we want to have happen. So there are lots of ideas, some of them fabulous, some of them not quite as much. And so there are, there are moments of how do we, um, you who have this wonderful gift you've given to the food bank and therefore this, this ownership, this leadership of this food bank, how do we value what you're saying while telling you that that particular idea isn't going to be sure. the most useful? You still can't walk on the pallet. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you're still going to have to be safe when you're here. Yeah. And so, you know, we do have a couple of moments like that. And a lot of it takes just, a, you know, a hug and a hug and a cookie and a <laughs> smile. But anyway, do, do go on with what you were saying. <laughs> it was just manual labor. Yep. Comes and goes. You do, and we get, you know, let's say we get five tons of food today, and then it looks like a big pile, especially if it's all strawberries or watermelons. You know, it looks like a big pile. And people just do it one at a time, and at the end of the day, we have families who started the day with nothing, and then they have a good dinner. Mm -hmm. And so, um,. When you get everybody to pull on the same end of the wagon, and sometimes <laughs> it's harder than others to yeah, do that. Yeah. But when you say, the task today is to move these watermelons from this place to that place, get it on a truck, and get it out to the person who needs it, then that's pretty clear. You know, you have to have very clear guidelines on what you're doing and why you're doing it. And so uh, that was a little bit scary during COVID because we thought, oh my goodness, all of our trained volunteers are not going to be here what are we going to do but a miracle happened because as people were laid off they came in to volunteer as people we gained 144 new volunteers in the first six weeks of COVID I think one of the key ingredients for us always always since the beginning of my time there is simplicity we have the simplest systems of all because we have people of all different kinds of um, uh, mentalities who work there side by side and you just food in food out how many pounds do you need in a box anyway it just flowed because the managers weren't there but the systems were in place and they were simple that because it takes that simplicity out um, it would it would cause us to need several more staff members so that's several more like more expenses and if we have a functional a highly functional and efficient um, salvaging food operation that gets it back out to people in need, we don't see any reason to add a whole bunch of extra overhead. For example, why count all of the, the individual yogurts in and count them all out if they're all going to go out on the same day? Yeah. 
Do you have yogurt? We're gonna wear them in. Put it in the box. Yeah. Set it out. Yeah. Don't don't keep a, an inventory system. So we've actually made the choice to continue to be a small independent local grassroots food bank, even though there probably is money uh, available if we decided to go to Feeding America, and it hasn't been it hasn't been worth the complexity or the administrative hassle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But mm -hmm. solution. Yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. So. Um, Looking at your website, which is a fantastic website, um, has so much information. I learned a lot. Um, whoever was responsible for that, kudos to them. I want to do a little shout out to it. So, Sam and Sam primarily, and then myself as well, put the information out there. But Mammoth Marketing, our local Mammoth Marketing, is the one that actually put it together. So, <clears throat> and actually, I don't know if you had a chance to see the video, but that's really fun. We we love doing school tours, and we couldn't have any school tours in there during COVID. So and my second grade son comes home and said, "Mom." How come I got to take a tour today of the Seattle Chocolate Factory, and I don't get to take a tour of the food bank? Well, Ezra, that's a great question. So we called up Mammoth Marketing and said, "Okay, we need to we need to have a tour." And so you'll notice that there's a second grader that's one of the stars of the video because I decided that if it was his idea, he could have some Absolutely. parts. Absolutely, yes. and uh, so he's very proud of that. He instantly the first place it was shown publicly was to his classroom. So, but that was, those ideas came from, that was a second grader. Yeah, so that's, they that's, believe that's where our logo came from also. Um, Doug Tolley, um, the story, he was one of the original, he was one of the, the probably original treasure. There was a time when he thought the doors were going to have to close. And then Arco sent a $5,000 check that surprised him. And so he was able to keep the place going. I've seen that story over and over again. But one of the things he did, he also was a second grade teacher, I think he was, anyway, um, second grade teacher at Monroe. And he took the concept of the food bank to the kids and said, uh, let's draw a logo. And so we have second two, graders. Yeah, so we have two children who are sharing with one another. Most of the logos of food banks, if you notice, are bread or hands or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. but we started at the very beginning thank you to the second graders with the idea that what we're doing here is sharing yeah that's that's pretty cool yeah. very very cool story mm -hmm. so then you um uh, add to that with your book so talk to me about your book the community book yes that was totally fun we just you know it was how can we continue that that was that came up in the heart of covid how can we continue um, encouraging people during a rather dark time in, in history. It was some really scary moments. Um, one of the uh, one of the biggest other biggest compliments. We had some wonderful moments during the COVID time, and one of them was a lady who came in wow, three or four months into COVID, and she said, "There's so much hope here. It's not so scary here." And that, that atmosphere, that was one of the things we wanted to offer to the community in this, of look at what you're doing when you come and support each other and share. And so the idea of the community book kind of came out of that, of what can we do to add a little bit of humor, a little bit of, of um, just what is it to be a community when everybody is socially distanced and everybody is on their telephones or computers and nobody's talking to each other anymore we need to remember that we're a community first <laughs> so um so having three younger children uh, our family did a whole bunch of limericks and telling lots of silly stories 
and pretty soon it grew into a community. Um, and then I was able to send pictures of, uh, of our little interior Alaska food bank to an illustrator and they took the limericks and the, um, and the photos and turned them into this really cute, fun book that's actually being sold. I've done an interview now on a pod, I'm on a radio station in Australia. Oh, so that was kind of fun. So then Australia has actually been one of the larger markets. Um, <laughs> so we've got this book with images of the Fairbanks Community Food Bank um, in a community book. And I took a little marketing class and pretty soon, every single time, you know, there's a whole bunch of us in the class and everybody else had written very serious books. And he said, and every time I'd get on the phone to ask a question, he goes, you're going to make one of those jokes again, aren't you? About how bad it's all going to be. And I said, oh, you better believe it. He said, all right, I'm braced. So, uh, so it just became a fun family project that added to the joy and the atmosphere of what an amazing community we have here in town. And it's different. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how different it was until I decided I decided I needed to get out of Little Fairbanks and I went to a different place for college. And about, I don't know, two weeks in, I called my mom and said, well, I'm all funned out now. I'd like to come back home. And I managed to stick out four whole years, but it was when by the time I came back home, my understanding that this actually isn't normal was really good. So I make a point of telling my kids that all the time. It's not normal. <laughs> if you like this, you're going to want to stay here. <laughs> well, we're blessed to have you both do the kind of work that you both do. Sam, you've been doing it for a very long time, and Anne's following in your footsteps. And what a great role model you've been, not only to Anne and to the people at Food Bank, but to the entire community. You know, we, we respect you and, and look up to you. Uh, I, ho I hope you know that. Well, thank you for saying that, but truly, I will tell you, it is my joy. I truly had the best job anybody could ever have. And my mom has always told me is that she will stop working at the food bank the day that it stops being fun. Well, 33 years later. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's still fun, and you still enjoy being around everybody, and, and we see that when we come as uh, a group of people to volunteer, we see that you're right there in the middle of all of it, not sitting in an office, you know, you're right there in, in the warehouse, you know, helping everybody and talking to everybody. So um, I really appreciate um, the opportunity to sit down and visit with you because I, I think, and I'm going to end with this, it's, it's a little bit of a, a serious note, but when I look at the multiples of places where people are going to get a meal you know whether it's um, breadline you know when when I get that every morning that we served hundred meals and they're only open for a very short time and then you have other places you know you have food being served in churches and you know in rescue mission and uh, senior meals on wheels. Senior meals on yeah. wheels, and and you know I'm thinking, uh, and and I guess senior center too. You can go have a lunch there. Uh, well, not right now because they're renovating, but but uh, it, it's, yeah. it's a program. Yeah, yeah. they'll mm -hmm. come back, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm thinking, there are so many places, and their clientele or or the need for their services and is perpetually increasing. 
then how do we combat this this uh, food insecurity or the necessity for, for food? And you both are in it night and day providing food for people. How do you see the world from the sense of necessity and from the sense of need? Uh, because we're not shy about who we serve, right? We, we have a lot of people trying to do good work mm -hmm. um, in this realm. And it's a good thing we do because it takes all of us. So how do you envision our future in, in um, context of food security and food necessity? The day that we stop sharing, that's the day we're going to suffer. But There's going to be a lot of disasters as time goes on, floods, earthquakes, who knows what. There's sure. always something. There's always something. But I saw or heard a wonderful program on KUAC many years ago. They interviewed, it was a think tank, they interviewed about nine different people who had opinions about what was going to take us out, what's going to you know, take us out of this world. And the very last guy says, if we're not sharing with one another, then that's what's going to kill us. Mm -hmm. And I believe that. I believe that we need to be in relationship with one another and sharing what we have. Very blessed. So thank you both for the wonderful organization that you run and the incredible amount of um, good will and good food that is given out to those that need it. And for your volunteer management, because if you didn't have that, you would have uh, less people that you could help and support. So kudos to you guys. You know, you both do such a fantastic job. And thank you for taking time out of your busy day and, and visiting with me. Any it's, final words? It's fun to brag about the community. Thank you for letting <laughs> us. That's, that's part of the joy mm -hmm. is to let, you know, oftentimes if, if somebody does something good, they don't even realize it. And it's so fun for us to be able to say, no, no, let's talk about what you actually have just done. So this was a real joy for us because it's really neat. So thank you again for your time and, and for this wonderful conversation. If you think of something else, just give me a shout. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It has been my privilege to have had this wonderful conversation with Ann Weaver and Sam Kirstein. It takes special people to devote themselves to taking care of a community's needs, especially that of food. My deepest thanks to both Anne and Sam. Their efforts ensure that everyone has a meal for themselves and their families, because no one should go hungry. You can find this episode on Apple, Spotify, Google, Podbean, Amazon Music, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me on Facebook and on joestablealaska.com. My deep gratitude to my group of supporters. You know who you are. To Andrew Heckman for writing the beautiful music for this podcast and to my sponsor, Denelli State Bank. Learn more about the bank at denellistatebank.com. I hope you join me as I continue to explore agricultural and food issues in interior Alaska. Thank you.